Last week, uh, we saw Joseph interpret Pharaoh's dreams. This week, we rest in the aftermath. Our text this morning is Genesis chapter 41, verses 41 through 57, and here we see how God uses Joseph to save a nation, and more than a nation, but the surrounding people as well. And while the saving of that nation is incredibly fantastic and important, this morning we are going to be focusing a little more on Joseph's heart. We are given a glimpse into where Joseph is at personally in the names that he gives his children. So we read our text this morning, or so as we read our text this morning, let's pay particular attention to Manasseh and Ephraim. We read the word of the Lord, Genesis 41, verses 41 to 57. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot as his second in command, and people shouted before him, Make way! Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but without your word no one will lift a hand or foot in all of Egypt. Pharaoh gave Joseph the name Zaphanath-Paneah and gave him Aseneth, daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. To be his wife. And Joseph went throughout the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of the Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from Pharaoh's presence and traveled throughout Egypt. During the seven years of abundance, the land produced plentifully. Joseph collected all the food produced in those seven years of abundance in Egypt, stored it in the cities, and in each city he put the food grown in the fields surrounding it. Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain, like the sands of the sea. It was so much that he stopped keeping records, because it was beyond measure. Before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph by Aseneth, daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, It is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. And the second son he named Ephraim and said, It is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. The seven years of abundance in Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began just as Joseph had said. There was famine in all the other lands, but in the whole land of Egypt there was food. When all Egypt began to feel the famine, the people cried to Pharaoh for food. Then Pharaoh told all the Egyptians, Go to Joseph and do what he tells you. When the famine had spread out over the whole country, Joseph ordered all the storehouses and sold grain to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe throughout Egypt. And all the world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph, because the famine was severe everywhere. Thus ends the reading. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. And God, I pray that you would speak through your word this morning, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. We pray this in your name. Amen. In the Heights is a new movie slash musical that came out last week. One of the things that has taken place due to COVID is that a lot of the movies that are released in theaters are also available for a limited time through streaming services. So last Friday, Karen and I sat down for a in-home movie date, and it was, it was nice. It was nice. This particular movie tells the story of a Latin community in Washington Heights. 
There are a variety of different characters and a few different storylines that are all intertwined together. One of the lead characters is a young woman named Nina. When we meet her, she has just returned from the summer from college on the West Coast. She's attending Stanford in California, and everyone is super excited for her. She's the one that made it out. She's the one that is going to be successful. She was always the one with the most potential. And the whole block is so excited to see that she is reaching it, that she is fulfilling the potential that they have seen in her all along. But Nina doesn't feel the same way. She's struggling. She's felt so alone being so far from her family, from the ones that she loves, from the place that she feels like she belongs. She's been humiliated. She's been stereotyped. She's been the victim of racism. She feels like she hasn't represented her block, her community, like she should. And there are so many things that are drawing her back to the heights. Maybe, maybe she should just stay. Maybe she should not go back to school in the fall. Nina does not want to return to the land of her suffering. Like Nina, Joseph has been in a land of suffering. As we pick back up with his story, Joseph is now 30 years old, and he has lived in Egypt since he was 17. Almost half of his life has been in a place that he doesn't feel like he belongs. Even though this is the place he knows best, the place that he has the most memories from, the culture that at this point he is the most familiar with, this is not the place that he feels welcome. It doesn't feel like home. It has been a land of suffering. Which is understandable when we remember that the vast majority of his time here has been spent in slavery and prison. But he's not in slavery and prison anymore. He's not only been set free, but he is now the second most powerful man in this foreign land. Things are good for Joseph. He's been given a beautiful wife from a powerful family. He has connections. He has popularity. He has power. He has wealth. Anything that could possibly make a person happy during their time here on earth, in this time period, in this, this ancient Egypt's time period, Joseph had access to it. Any worldly form of pleasure, anything that gets the dopamine flowing from our brain, begging for more, Joseph could give the brain all that it wanted. And yet we know from our text this morning that Joseph still saw Egypt as a land of suffering. Like Nina, he didn't feel like he belonged there. It, it wasn't somewhere his people were. It wasn't where he felt comfortable. Even though he had all the pillows and creature comforts that money and privilege could afford, this is not where he felt like he belonged. For he had suffered here. He had been abused here. And we know, we know, that a land of suffering does not have to be someplace you can find on a map. A land of suffering does not necessarily have a zip code or a P.O. box. You don't have to be able to find the street view of it on Google Maps to know that it exists, for a land of suffering can also be an experience, can't it? This past year has been brutal for many of us. COVID has limited our abilities to interact with our neighbors, our friends, our family, and has left many of us mentally, physically, and spiritually exhausted. Trying to figure out how to deal with, with separating from everyone, and now trying to figure out how to reintegrate with our communities has been hard and confusing and awkward, and the stress and anxiety that have resulted could rightly be considered suffering. 
And maybe our suffering has nothing to do with COVID. COVID is like the broad brush that we often paint with these days. But before, during, and after COVID, the world has supplied limitless opportunities for suffering. Maybe we've been bullied. Maybe you've been abused. Maybe, like Nina, you've been the subject of racism. Maybe, like Joseph, you've been taken advantage of. Maybe you've been afflicted by a medical condition. Maybe someone you love has been afflicted by a medical condition. And each and every one of us have had our passports stamped for the particular destination, the land of suffering where there is room enough for us all. And that's hard. And it begs some huge questions. Why did this happen? Why is this happening to me? And why did this happen? Why is this happening to, to someone that I love? Couldn't God have stopped it? Why didn't, why didn't he stop it? If he loves me, why am I going through this? Why am I spending time in a land of suffering? And those are real questions. They are, they are hard questions. But before we can answer them, there are a couple things that we need to make clear first. Joseph was in this land of suffering. He had all of this hard stuff happen to him. He spent most of his life in slavery or in prison, but none of that happened to him because God was mad at him. None of that happened to him because God stopped loving him. None of that happened to him because he didn't keep the faith strong enough or because he failed to be everything that a follower of God is supposed to be. And it's the same for us. You are not in a land of suffering because God stopped loving you. You are not in a land of suffering because God has stopped caring about you or because you offended him too many times or because you weren't a good enough Christian or a good enough human or because you deserve it or because God has decided to pick on you for some reason. You are in a land of suffering because we live in a sinful and broken world. A world where our bodies are not perfect and they are susceptible to disease and dysfunction. We live in a world where selfishness is praised and generosity is seen as a privilege. We live in a world that is so broken that by sin that we enslave each other and justify it, where we judge our neighbors and scorn our parents. We live in a world where abuse runs rampant and we make excuse for the, excuses for the rich while we take advantage of the poor. This is not the world that God intended, but it is the world that in our sinfulness we have created. And yet God does not abandon us here. He does not leave us alone in our suffering. As we saw that God was with Joseph, so we know that God is with us also. He does not leave us. He does not abandon us. He does not necessarily spare us the hard journey, but he takes that journey with us. And on the journey through the hard times, God is drawing us closer to himself. He is calling to us. He is molding us, shaping us. He loves you so much that he could never quit you and constantly is constantly calling you into deeper relationship with him. And I know, I know that it doesn't always feel like that. I know that it can feel like you are so very alone as you trudge through the land of your suffering. But though you may feel alone, God has not left us alone. He is shaping us, molding us, and breaking us in the way that you need to re-break a bone 
so that it'll heal properly. God has not left us. As I mentioned earlier, what stood out the most for me as I read our text this morning was the names that Joseph gave his two sons. Joseph had this incredible position of power bestowed upon him. And Egypt is experiencing the seven years of prosperity. And Joseph and his wife, Aseneth, are blessed with two sons. And the first son, Joseph names Manasseh, which, which and said, so sorry, Joseph names Manasseh, and then he says, it is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. Now we can read that and think, must be nice. Things are so great for Joseph that he doesn't even remember all the bad stuff that happened to him or, or how he's been separated from his family. But that's, that's not the case. Joseph totally remembers the bad things that have happened to him. And we know this because of what he named his second son. What we see in the, is in the meaning of Joseph's first son name and Manasseh's name is that Joseph's past is no longer what motivates him. It's no longer his pain, his frustration, his anger, his love-hate relationship with his family. That is not what motivates him anymore. God has reshaped the core desires of Joseph's life. We'll see this as the story continues. Joseph hasn't forgotten all about his family. He doesn't hate them. He just isn't driven by them anymore. God has freed him from the anger and the hate and the pain that were key motivators for him. And God does the same for us. As we grow in him, as we rely on him, the sinful things that once motivated us don't hold power over us the way they once did. Our anger and our hurt over things in the past becomes less important as we understand the grace and the love of God. The grace and the love that he has poured out over us and over those that have hurt and wounded us. So Joseph names his first son Manasseh, signifying the grace that God has showed him and has empowered him to show others. And he names his, son, his second son Ephraim and says, it is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. This is how we know that everything isn't roses for Joseph. This is why we know he still considers it a land of suffering, even though things are going well. And yet he is praising God for the fruit that the Lord has given him during this time in Egypt. And yes, he's talking about his kids, his wife, and his family. But he's also talking about the spiritual fruit that God has given him. He went into that well in Dothan, a self-righteous, lying, entitled, pompous tattletale. And God used the land of suffering to grow Joseph, to grow in Joseph the fruit that would save the world. As Joseph suffered, he had nowhere to turn but God. He had nowhere to put his trust but God. And God did not misplace or abuse that trust. He was with Joseph. And he used Joseph to interpret dreams. And he gave Joseph wisdom to know how to respond to the hard truths of the dreams. And through Joseph's wisdom, through God working through Joseph, all of Egypt was saved. And not just Egypt, but as our last verse tells us, the world, including, as we will see in the coming weeks, his own family. He didn't want to be there. And yet God used him in that place to literally save hundreds of thousands of lives. Nina didn't want to go back to Stanford, the land of her suffering. 
But as her story unfolds, she sees how the education that she gets there could have the tangible effect of changing and saving the lives of so many people in her community, so many people on her block in Washington Heights. And the change that God is bringing about in you, in me, in us, as he molds us and shapes us in our own lands of suffering, is the fruit that God will use to save the eternal lives of so many people in our communities and on our blocks. For there is only one thing that can bring healing to the broken. There's only one thing that can bring peace to the anxious and the discouraged. There's only one thing that truly brings relief to the suffering, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel that tells us that God so loved the world that he sent his only son, that he sent Jesus to be with them and to live with them, to love them. And Jesus not only was with, loved, lived with, and loved us, but he took the brokenness that separates us from God upon himself, and he died for it. He took all of our sin and all of our shame and all of the guilt, and he took that up the hill to Calvary. And there he was nailed to the cursed tree, to a cross. And on that cross, he surrendered his spirit. He willingly gave his life. And because he was perfect, because he became, because the sin he became was not his own, but ours, he paid the price for all sin for all time. And when we have faith in that, when we trust in that, when we believe that Jesus died in our place for our sins, and that we needed him to do that because we couldn't save ourselves from our own suffering and from our own brokenness, but we needed Jesus to save us from them, when this is where we put our hope and our trust and our faith and the dirty rags of our sin are taken from us, and we are clothed in the perfect righteousness of Christ. And through this relationship, through the faith that we have been given, having the rags of our sin taken from us and the pure, amazing righteousness of Christ given to us, we are reconciled to God. This is what Christ came to do, not to demand that we follow the law better, but to reconcile sinners to God. He came to save us. He died that we might be forgiven and restored. This, this is the message that brings hope. That no matter what you have done or thought or what you are going through, God loves you. No matter what you have suffered or the suffering that you have caused, God loves you. No matter how little you think of yourself, God thinks the world of you. And he has gone to such great lengths and extreme personal cost to reconcile with you. It's not something we earn. It's not a relationship that we maintain, but it's something that we believe. It's a resting in the faith that God has given us. Though we are unworthy, God has declared us worthy in Christ. Egypt needed grain as they struggled through a physical famine. And God provided for them through Joseph. Our world, our neighbor, your friend who does not know the Lord is struggling through spiritual famine. And God has provided for them and for us through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Let us not keep this message of hope stored up in the grain silos while the people around us starve. God shaped Joseph in his time of suffering for such a time as this. And God has shaped you in your times of suffering for such a time as this. 
that we might grow closer to him, that we might recognize more deeply how much we need him and all that he has done for us, that we might rest more fully in the faith that he has given us, that a deeper and stronger faith would be the fruit of our suffering and that we might share that fruit with our starving neighbor. I don't know where you're at in your relationship with God this morning. Maybe you've walked with him for years. Maybe your journey is just beginning, or maybe you're still stretching before you start the walk. Wherever you are, know that God loves you. He has not abandoned you. He is not the cause of your time in the land of suffering, but he has not abandoned you to it either. He created you. He cares for you. He will never quit or abandon you. He sent his son to die for you. And as you repent of your sins, he has forgiven you. He has prepared a place for you. And he is calling you. Our God is for you. And he will use the fruit of the time spent in suffering to great purpose in his kingdom that others might join in at the great feast that will one day be held in heaven when suffering is no more. What a fantastic, loving, and gracious God we serve. Amen.